The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Meg, I'm pretty sure you can do that with your eyes closed and hands tied behind your back. You're just that good. It's just how it is. Thank you so much. Well, I invite your attention this morning to uh, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Uh, You know what? I told you last week we were going to celebrate this, but uh, if you're visiting with us, we are in a two-year study, two-and-a-quarter-year study of the book of Mark. Guys, we have turned a new chapter. If you want to clap for that, you can just... It's... We are into chapter 12. This is like if you've ever run a a race before and you see a mile marker and you're getting closer to the finish, we're getting there. So uh, November 18th is our last Sunday in this. So that's a long way away, but we are slowly inching our way there. Uh, It's kind of like the Royals are inching their way to a World Series after a 2-0 start. That's the only Royals reference you'll hear out of me all day, all right? I got it in. It's out of there. As you're turning, I want to just uh, remind you as well that uh, coming up in a couple months, our ladies have put together a retreat. So if you're a lady, uh, guys, this is not for you, but ladies, our Connections Conference coming up in a couple months. Uh, Miss Leah is in the back. Uh, Leah, if you want to wave, I think most people know who you are. Miss Leah, Miss Tara, some other folks would love to get you connected with this. It's on Friday, June 7th and Saturday, June 8th uh, coming up this year to connect with each other and connect with God. Uh, We'll have a Sign up starting next week, ladies. would love for you to sign up with that to get to know each other and get to know the Word as well. Well, this is going back a few years, long before I was there, but there's a story told about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, uh, who often endured long receiving lines at the White House. And he complained that no one ever really paid attention to what he said. So one day he decided to poke a little fun at people. One day during reception to each person who passed down the line, he shook their hand And he murmured quietly, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the guests kept responding every time they shook his hand, Marvelous, President, keep up the good work. We're proud of you. God bless you, sir. I'm praying for you. And it was not until the end of the line while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia that his words were actually heard. And not shaken and straightforwardly, the ambassador leaned in over and whispered to FDR, Well, I'm sure she had it coming, President. I'm sure she had it coming. So, you know, good listening is like tuning into a good radio station, isn't it? For, for good results, you can only listen to one station at a time. If you're a husband, you know this to be very, very true, because trying to listen to your wife while looking over or doing anything else is only going to get you in trouble in the moment, and at the time, you actually have to fulfill what she asks you to do, which you don't remember anyway, so it is what it is. Listening requires a choice to pay attention and place my attention. It may be that you put down your smartphone, your paper, turn off the Royals game. Oh, that's the second reference. Putting down the book or whatever. Listening takes time, doesn't it? It's hard. If you really listen, it's really, really hard. And my prayer should always be, Lord, free me from the arrogance of presuming that any individual has nothing to say to me. Give me a heart to listen. And isn't this what uh, it was spoken by Samuel in Samuel, 1 Samuel 3, when God was speaking to him and the prophet uh, Eli said, Go and say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 
And that is the prayer of every Christian everywhere. Lord, I want to hear what you have to say, but help it to be what it is. Well, if you put your ear to the ground of God's Word and listen to it, you will always hear the rumble of His faithfulness coming. Because God is always pushing forward His kingdom, and God is calling His people simply not to listen, but to set and do and be what He calls us to do, be, and live out. And as creator and controller of all things, God has a better sense of what you need than you ever will, so we must listen to Him. Yet the very religious leaders of Jesus' day, whom we will study today, have another chance to listen to Jesus, and they just let it go in one ear and out the other. We're coming on the heels of a time where they just heard him ask them a question last week. You remember that? They came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus said, well, if you can answer a simple question, I will help you. And they said simply, we don't know. And yet they are here again on what we might call Terrible Tuesday, listening to Jesus, ready to accost him, and ready to set him before the people as a, as a, a hypocrite, and yet Jesus is going to have them listen to him one more time. And they're going to ask the question again, by what source, by what authority? But it all comes down to listening. If listening is hard for you, as it is for most of us, then our ears and our prayer today is, Lord, what is it that you want me to hear? Because these people, these Pharisees, had to listen to Jesus talk about them in the third person. And it was hard. But if you are open, if we are open in God's word and we do not hear his voice, the problem is not with the one who is speaking, but with our listening. You ever had that problem before? God has already clearly told you what to do and you go to verse after verse, Lord, tell me what to do. And then it just smacks you one day on the front of the face and you realize that it's really right in front of you all the time. And this is exactly what the Pharisees had. They had the word right in front of them, but they did not listen. Christian today, remember that God is the great encourager and Satan is the great discourager. Christ is the cornerstone and Satan has been crushed by the cornerstone. Who are you listening to? God is never silent. He's always speaking through his words. So today, may we pray along with all Christians everywhere that we live close to Jesus, that we use fewer words, that we give more listening than advice, that we stay grateful and we live close to Jesus and say, Lord, your servant is listening. What do you want me to hear today? If you've been here a long time and listened to many sermons, you know that gets harder and harder, doesn't it? Because you hear truths over and over and over like a broken record. But like that broken record, we need to hear that truth again and again and again and again. So this morning, three duties when listening to the Lord. Three duties when listening to the Lord. First, we have a duty to listen to the Lord's servants. In this case, in the context, the prophets of God is who Jesus will say these people need to listen to. Secondly, there's a duty to listen to the Lord's Son. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Now, we're in church, that sounds so easy, right? But really, that's what it comes down to. And then finally, there's a duty to listen to the Lord's Scripture. Not just the words of your, your pastors, but the Lord's Scripture. Because you know what? Sometimes we are wrong. Sometimes we fail. I know that you think that never happens, but it probably happens more than you realize. You need the Scripture. You need the Son. You need His servants. 
And these are the duties that Jesus will lay before the, the Pharisees as they hear once again the Word of God. And as we will see, they do nothing with it but go away. If you're able to stand this morning in honor of God's Word as we do, would you stand as we read uh, 12 verses this morning, Mark 12, 1 to 12. And, and if you're visiting and you don't have a Bible, or if you need a Bible, there should be a blue pew Bible in front of you. Uh, Pastor Nelson referenced it earlier. Uh, we're on page 849, big number 12, small number 1, chapter 12 verse 1. Here's what it says this morning as we hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus began to speak to them, speaking to the Pharisees and and the, the Sanhedrin who came to him in parables. He said, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press or the vat and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent to a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of their vineyard. And they took from him, took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 4, again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed him. Verse 5, and so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He still had another one, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And verse 8, they took him and killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. And Jesus says in verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were, afraid, they were seeking to arrest him, but this is the second time, guys, in two weeks. But they feared the people, for they f- perceived that they had told a parable against them. So they left him and went away. My prayer for you today is this, uh, many of you are long seasoned Christians, but that you would hear the word of the Lord either in comfort, that God comforts you in whatever you're going through through the sermon. He convicts you. Maybe there's something in your life that really needs to change and the spirit has been working in your life or challenges you in the same way. And if you're not a Christian here today, we especially welcome you, and I pray especially that you come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the comfort that can only come by repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ. Will we listen today? Will you pray with me as we start our sermon off this morning? Father, thank you so much, Father, that you did give us, as our mamas told us, two ears and one mouth. But yet, Lord, we often have more mouths than we have ears, and if we have ears, we often plug them up with whatever we do to get away from listening, especially to you. Father, give us guidance, give us wisdom today. Father, these duties that are set before us in the scriptures as you gave the parable through your son several uh, hundred years ago, 2,000 years ago, we thank you for this parable. Lord, speak to us this morning by your spirit. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for those uh, that we serve and those whom we reach. Lord, may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, the first duty of listening that Jesus gives us is he gives us a duty to listen to the Lord's servants. And let me, as this point comes up, let me be very clear. Sometimes as pastors, and we'll apply this later on, we have to speak about our job description. That's kind of weird, like it seems self-feeding, self-serving. But as we go through this, I, I want you to hear clearly that I need to hear this word this morning as much as you do, as we do together. So a duty to listen to the Lord's servants. And you see Jesus there in verse 1, he has a beautiful vineyard. There's a beautiful vineyard within the ranks. And he began to speak to them in parables. 
Jesus isn't trying to conceal the truth, but he's going to tie together themes from the Old Testament that these men, these, this, this group of men he's been questioning in the last couple sermons, and they've been questioning him that they know well. It's from Isaiah chapter 5. It's about a vineyard. Vineyards were a very easy thing in the old times for people to know about. There was a vineyard, there was a vine 70 feet above the temple etched into stone. So when he pulls out this parable, their ears are perking up because he's thinking they're going to talk about someone else. But in reality, he's going straight for the guttural. He's talking about them. It's very common in the Middle East to have a vineyard. It's very, very common. But you notice how careful the owner was. Did you see as Jesus starts off this parable? Again, a parable is just a story that communicates a, a heavenly truth. It said a man planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it, or, or your translation may say a wall. I mean, I don't know about you. Uh, we, we read a lot of uh, uh, stories about uh, bunnies and how they, they go into the, the, the farmer's place and they steal the carrots at home. Those are fun. I can't think of the name uh, offhand, but, but we love them. But you don't put a wall around your, your garden, do you? You don't put a big brick wall. So what does it say? It says this owner is very much wanting to protect his vineyard. It's not just a, a barbed wire fence. It's a wall. It's literally a wall. And he dug out the vat for the wine press. It's, it's easy to get to. That's where the grapes are going to be squeezed. And not only a wall, but he puts in a tower. I mean, I, Annie, I thought of you again, all these gardening references. Annie's our green thumb here. I mean, I, I don't know about you. Annie, I, I've been to Annie's house. She doesn't have a tower above her, her garden. That would be a little over the edge, wouldn't it? So why does he do this? This owner builds a tower. He went the extra mile because he doesn't want the animals. He didn't want anything to, dis- to disturb the growing process. And then he leases it out to tenants, to vine growers. He rents it out. He rents the space out, the vineyard out. And, and they're renting it now, and they will give produce of the owner back to the owner as payment. But he goes on a journey. That sounds weird. I mean, if you're renting and you got this beautiful place, why would you go on a journey? Why don't you stay and enjoy the fruits of your labor? But they are now in charge, these people are, of doing this very thing. And let me be very clear who these people are. The owner of the vineyard is God himself. The owner is God, creator of heaven and earth and sovereign elector of the nation Israel. The vineyard is the nation of Israel. It's everything Israel is. And the vineyard is like the eagle we have on the American flag. It, it kind of, the vineyard is their symbol. The eagles are a symbol. That was theirs. And God has built out of nothing Something to be successful. Started with Abraham. There's a wall around it. The wall represents God's protection of Israel. To bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. There's a wine press or a vat. I like the word vat better. It just sounds cool. There's a place where fruit is produced. And the vine growers are the spiritual leaders that he spoke of last week. And those leasing or renting the vineyard are supposed to be the ones that take care of it all. And then finally, the journey be very clear here, this is not some God, and uh, Brother Derek has done a good job on Wednesday nights teaching this uh, to our adults, but God is not some distant God that starts things in motion and, and goes off. He's not a, a weird God. He's involved. But God has given these spiritual leaders the opportunity to make things right. Because when they are supposed to be doing things, He sees them. Let me take an aside here just to say this that God has given each nation at certain times and certain places. And guys, I, we spoke a couple weeks ago, is, is God judging America? And we said, we don't know, but we need to be faithful anyway. But let me just say, God has been very good to our country. Would you agree with that? You worship here in freedom. 
I spoke to one of our missionaries overseas that uh, they had to get out of the country for two weeks because of the elections going on in that country, and it was for the safety of them. And if you were on Facebook, you know which of our guys that was. But America is facing turbulent times, but I just want to take a moment here and tell you five quick reasons why it's good to be a Christian in America right now. That may sound weird. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about as a Christian. Look, as we consider the darkness of our days, number one, people are really curious about why you're a Christian. Did you know that? Just as people, when they looked at the nation of Israel, said, why are you doing things like this? Our convictions are peculiar, are, but with gentleness and respect, we find them refreshing. We think the weird, we want to make Christianity weird again. You know why? Because it is weird. We believe in a guy that resurrected from the dead, and you're here to worship him. Amen? That's weird. But it's honoring to God. We don't demonize those who we disagree with. We, we give them charity, and our community is particular. Look, you all are so different. You're so different. Some of you have hair. Some of you have a lot of hair. Some of you have a belly. Some of you can eat a pizza, and it doesn't affect you one bit. But we love each other. We love the Lord. We don't have a lot in common, but we have the Lord in common. We are. We're weird people. People are curious about what it means to be a Christian, and God is entrusted for whatever time frame left our nation. And it is good to be a Christian because as the nation goes this way, Christians are looking up this way. And that's a good thing. Secondly, it's good to be a Christian because we have the answer to racial reconciliation. Do you know that? You know what the answer is? It's found in Jesus. And yes, there are hard conversations that need to come because you have been reconciled to Christ across all the ethnicities. We have the reconciliation answer. His name is Jesus, guys, and you know this. It's good to be a Christian because as people fight over race and all these things, we can come together in a church and, we are, and come together with diversity and say, you know what? We may not agree on a lot of things, but we agree on this one thing. I was lost, but now I was found. I was blind, but now I see in Jesus Christ. It's good to be a Christian in America because we have that answer. Third, it's good to be a Christian in America because persecution makes us more like Jesus Christ. Your faith is going to be tested if it's not already been tested in the days ahead like it never has been before. You, can you imagine what Israel was like when they actually lived for, do you remember when they rebuilt the wall in Ezra and Nehemiah and people came up to them and they said, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord told us to build this wall. And they kept pressuring them and pressuring them and pressuring them and pressuring them. But it is good for us to be persecuted as Christians in America because it shows where we really are, who is really with us and where we need to go. I skipped over one, Amy, and you're right, number three. You know what? We used to send nations, people out to the nations, and we still do and need to as missionaries. But do you realize in our backyard in Maple Park and Gracemore, there are close to 50 languages spoken in our own neck of the woods? It's very common for you to have a Muslim neighbor, a Buddhist neighbor. Do you know, and I don't mind saying this, you pray for them, and we pray we engage them skillfully. There's a mosque slash Islamic center that popped up in the old uh, uh, jumping catfish off I-35 in Antioch right there. You pass it right as you're taking I-29, pass it five, ten times a week. You pray. Well, Darren, what about him? I'm not talking about political policies. I'm talking about the chance that we have. The nations have come to us, guys. What an opportunity we have to share the gospel. Now, you can debate the politics of all that stuff later, but one thing we agree on is this. Everyone outside of Jesus needs the Savior. Amen. It's good to be in America 
because you have people you work with and brush shoulders with that speak differently than you, smell differently than you, look differently than you. But you know what? God has entrusted us with the freedoms we have to speak the gospel wherever we go. Finally, it's good to be in America because we are closer than ever to Christ's return. Let me be very, very clear on this. I'm not saying America is a special nation outside of the blessing that God has given it. America is a nation among many nations that will come and go, I'm sure, over God's providence and time. But in this time, we are closer than ever to see Christ and what hope we should have in these dark days because the vineyard God has given us is the very vineyard that God might use to revolutionize the world around us. Guys, Christians in America may lose rights. We may lose lots of things. But you know what? If you are living and breathing, you have freedom to speak Jesus wherever you go. Isn't that cool? And you get to do it without fear of any reprisal so long as you continue to trust your Lord. But Israel did not take their blessing. They didn't think it was that good to be in Israel. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. And you notice there in verse 2 how this goes. You look at back at verse 2. He, he, Jesus goes on to say, he, he sets up the scenario, and then we go through this succession. You see a buildup. First, they sent a slave to the vine growers to get the money paid back to the owner. And the owner is God here. The rent was due, and it was harvest time. And you notice at first that the slave, it's a reference to one of the prophets who taught the word of God, who told them to repent and all these things. Well, they beat him, and they sent him away. Israel didn't want the blessing that God wanted. They wanted to call their own shots, do their own thing. And Israel's persecution of the prophets, they had to bear up and answer to God for it. Then in verse 4, they sent them another servant. Again, servant, these are the prophets that God sent to the nation of Israel. Again, another servant, and they struck him on the head and sent him away shamefully. They wounded him in the head. You see the progression? It gets more severe, more severe, more severe, and more severe. But do you notice how patient the owner is? Do you notice how patient God is? Guys, our nation in America even is so sinful that we drink it down like water and it's above our heads and we don't even recognize we're drowning in it. Yet God is so patient. You were like that outside of Jesus Christ. You came to a point where you had offended a holy God, but but God in His love and His mercy by His Spirit drew you to Him. Verse 5 says they sent another and they killed him when they went to collect the rent. It's more violent, more savage. And this is what Jesus is telling these Pharisees. You need to listen to what the servants have said to you. And you have not listened. You have not listened to any of it. None were given respect. I mean, Isaiah was sawn in two. Jeremiah was thrown in a, a pit. He was opposed. He probably died in Israel. Daniel was thrown to the lion's den. John the Baptist was severed from the head. It was a real deal. Israel did not like the prophets. Friend, let me remind you, and Amy will put this on the screen, but let the preacher preach as a dying man to dying men, as Brainerd once said, and let the people listen to each sermon as though it may be their last. Friends, I am not the most eloquent preacher. I'm not the, I talk too fast to make auctioneers cry because that's just how it is. You've gotten good at listening over the years. But one thing, I'm not the best preacher around. I'll never be the best preacher around. We want to strive to be better in all we do. Our pastors here want to do that. But it's not our goal to be more amazing for Jesus. It's our goal to make you and me and all of us to be more amazed by Jesus. And that happens each week when we get up here and do the same thing over and over and over and over. I was going to have a fireworks show today, but it might burn down the building. I was going to try a light show, and that didn't work out either. No, we don't need that stuff. We have the Word of God. 
And like Israel, we need to realize that there comes a time when we have to stand up and listen to what God is speaking. This is why we don't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Romans 15.3, what was written in the past was written for your encouragement and your instruction so you might have endurance. The Old Testament is as valuable today, Christian, as it ever was in the life of the believer. Well, pastor, I thought the law was fulfilled in Jesus. Amen. But you know what? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need it all. This is why in Luke 16, 31, the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus said if they do not listen to the, to the prophets and they don't listen to the fathers, they will not be convinced when someone rises from the dead. Christian, you want to witness to your non-Christian friend? Then show them the Old Testament. Point them to the sin they have and the grace that's only found in Jesus Christ. You know, maybe you feel like this every Sunday. This is Mr. Bean. I like English humor. Maybe you feel like you've got to do this every Sunday. Surely you don't. But a man asked his friend, what color are your pastor's eyes? And he answered, I don't know. When he prays, he closes his eyes. And when he preaches, I close mine. And how true that is. We've all been there. We've all done that. But would we listen, unlike Israel, to what the prophets had to say? Come to me, return to me, listen to me, O church. Hear me and what I said in the times of old. And friends, it's still as applicable today. The 39 books from Genesis to Malachi as they ever have been because God and Jesus authorized them as such. Even if you struggle to stay awake reading through Leviticus, amen, God still shows us that he's a holy, holy God. We need to listen to the servants that have come, and listen to those whom he's called today. Second thing I want you to see is there's a duty here to listen to the Lord's Son. Look back at verse 6. Notice the beloved Son. Uh, I don't know what your Bible has here. It should have something similar. But verse 6 tells us they not only didn't listen to the prophets before, but now that Jesus is using a parable, but he's describing himself. Verse 6, he still had, the owner still had one other, a beloved Son. This is Jesus referencing himself, not just the owner's son, but the beloved son. Sending him was a very patient step. Instead of bringing the army down for not paying the rent, he's going to send his son. The owner could make no greater appeal than sending himself. His own flesh and blood was going. And you notice what he says there? He says, they will respect my son. Look at your verse. They will respect my son, right? I mean, because he's, he's, he's been so good to them. I mean, they've killed his servants, and he still hasn't wiped them out. He, they've done all these things. After all they've done, he gave them land. He gave them a chance to enjoy it, yet they've rejected it. But the Son here, of course, is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he called for these people to repent of their sins. Do you remember the first sermon of Jesus? Do you remember this? In, in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 1, uh, Jesus said... Come, we'll tell you about Jesus, we'll feed you, and we'll give you a welcome packet. Mark 1.16, did you get that verse? No, Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Where is that type of preaching today? He called them to repentance, he called them to saving faith, to allegiance, all these things, because he was the prophet, he was the priest, he was the king. Remember Nicodemus in John 3, one of the, one of the Pharisees even told him, we know you're from God because if you're from God, no one, if you aren't from God, no one could do the things you did and still be alive. So what was the response? Look back at verse 7 at the brutal killing. He tells you he sent his beloved son. 
a picture of the Father sending Jesus to the nation of Israel and the world. But those tenants, those people of Israel said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They try to rally others with their influence. They premeditatedly kill the son to get the goods with greed and selfishness. And friends, this was the spirit of Israel. They wanted it all to themselves. Remember when Jesus cast out the uh, money changers from the temple? Do you remember uh, how they came to him? And, ooh, they were upset, man. Don't rock the boat. It's our money, Jesus. It's our power. They didn't want that guy named Jesus to come do that. They wanted to call the shots of religion. So what do they do? Verse 8, they tell him, they took him, they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. Not only did they make him a humiliation, but this is exactly what they will do in the coming weeks. In the coming weeks, they will see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, won't they? led by the Romans with Judas, the arrest. They'll tie his hands and lead him off. And Rome has the right to capital punishment. But the Israelites will say, say, you know, we can't kill him, Pilate, but you have to be the one to do this. And, and we would have brought him to you if he had not done evil, but this man, Jesus, has done all this evil. And in a sense, Jesus is predicting his own death again. They threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus was crucified outside the city in a place called the Skull. And in this parable, Jesus is showing his own death in the very week he'll be put to death. He's casting pearls before these swine as another example against them. I mean, Jesus has predicted his death. You're taking notes. Mark 8, 12, Mark 8, 31, Mark 9, 31, Mark 10, 33, and 34, Mark 10, 38. That's five times in the last week Jesus has predicted his own death. This prophecy is being fulfilled. Mark 9, 7 says very clearly, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Yet they did not. They killed him. Friend, I just want to remind you that no one can hate you in this life more than Jesus was hated himself. The world hated Jesus, and if we're really his followers, there's going to be occasions where they're going to hate us. We talked about this in our Sunday school class in Mark 6, where Jesus went to his hometown, and it said they were offended by him. Jesus is offensive. He is. We can't package that any different. You can get the buddy. I, I don't know if you all remember this, Northlanders, uh, over by Pleasant Valley about, man, about 10 years ago, there was a huge statue of Jesus. Do you remember this? Some of you all remember this. And Jesus, I mean, he was happy and he had a big heart and all these things. Look, you can package Jesus, American Jesus, African Jesus, Israelite Jesus, whatever you want to do with Jesus on the facials. But unless the heart has been changed by the Spirit of God, there is no happiness in Jesus by that person. You can give people gifts with Jesus. You can drop Easter eggs from helicopters with iPads attached and say, come to Jesus. But the only way someone comes to Jesus is if Jesus draws them himself. But we are spiritually dead outside of him, aren't we? There's nothing good within us. And friend, remember that, that when people reject the gospel you share, they're not rejecting you. They're doing what they did and what God told Samuel. Samuel, they want a king. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me because they don't want to listen to my beloved son. Jesus lived and died so we would die and live. And when Jesus died for sin, we died to sin. And though sin still is in us, it no longer reigns over us. There is a difference. 
Christian, if you are here today, you have access to the throne room of God and the very words of Jesus Christ. You have listened to what God has told you to listen to. And Jesus knew that it was coming. He's not a victim here. Remember, he's fully in control. That's awesome. This is not a plan that's going to happen just because it happens. It happens because it's there. But will the owner of the vineyard for his son, by grace, what will he do? We'll get there in just a second. It reminds me of that story of the cowboy who was driving. I, I still can't picture this, but some of you remember a day when, well, I, I won't, Jack, you were probably alive back then, Jack. He's smiling ear to ear, so it's all good. But a cowboy was riding his horse down a dirt road when a police officer flashed his lights and pulled him over. Never, I don't know when that happened. But he said, sir, I've been trying to pull you over for a mile. Do you know that your wife fell off a ho- the horse back there a mile down the road? And the man smiled ear to ear and said, Thank God, I thought for a moment that I had become death. Some of you, that's going to take a minute. You know what? What a picture of Israel. What a picture of those outside of Jesus Christ. When the law of God's word pulls them over and arrests their attention like a schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24, whew, they say, man, she's, it's finally off my back. Like this man said, man, she's finally off my horse. Talk, 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 talk. Some of you are still thinking about this, by the way. <laughs> but friend, what we know is that nothing can ever take away the voice of Jesus Christ. You can try and buck it off. You can try and throw it off. You can try and get away from it. There's nowhere you can go that the creation of God doesn't scream out his praises. The people of God don't scream out his praises. And everything he is says he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Listen to him. Nowhere. Even when they kill the son, the voice still goes. Do you know what Jesus wants for you in that and listening to him? Have you given you your ear to him this week? Last thing is this. Not only do they have a duty to listen to the Lord's servants, to his son, but also to listen to the Lord's scripture. Look back at verse 9. Jesus is going to ask him a very blunt question. Notice verse 9. So after all this happens, after the, after the renters kill the, the slaves, they beat them, they kill the beloved son, Jesus asks a rhetorical question that has an obvious answer. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, he's got to do something, doesn't he? I mean, if this happened to you, if you were renting a space and you sent your son and they killed him, you would be on every news channel, liberal, conservative, you'd be on the internet, you'd be on social media, you'd be texting, you'd be taking selfies, you'd be saying, there is such an injustice done to my son, to my servants, to my place, we got to do something about these rebel rousers. And at some point, there has to be an act. It's gone too far. Everyone knows the obvious answer here. You notice they don't answer him back. Now the son of the owner has been killed by the tenants. And notice what the next verse says. It says very clearly, what will he do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And here's the key phrase and the point where we get this from. Have you not read the scripture? Guys, let me be very clear. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you want to hear God speak? Read the Bible out loud. Seriously. 
We are called, we are kept by the voice of Jesus. Instead of coming to the Scripture for what it means to us, we need to let the Scripture speak. And these guys, these Pharisees, these Sanhedrin, these elders, these lawyers, they knew the Scriptures enough to know that they would not have done anything different than what the owner did. And instead, what they now do is realize that Jesus is starting to talk about them. Jesus is zeroing in on them and he will come and destroy the tenants. It shows the severity of it, that Jesus is going to bring right retribution against all that's happened. There's mercy. He doesn't take back over the vineyard, but he gives it to others. Did you see that? He doesn't just, just throw it out. He, he uses it. How patient, how kind of God. What a blessing to show such favor. But now, who is he talking about? Who's he going to give it to? Who's this vineyard going to be given to in Israel? Guys, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that should have been the light of Israel is now going to go to the people that they hate. Oh, spare the thought. The gospel got to Raiders fans, to KU fans, to Mizzou fans, to those New York Yankees even, and the Red Sox. But how much more spiritually? These people who... We're supposed to be the vineyard. We're supposed to tend the vineyard. The Israelites, Jesus says now it's going to be handed over. What's he, what's he speaking of? Most likely he's speaking of AD 70, just some 30 years later, 35 years later, when Israel would be collapsed and Jerusalem would be destroyed, AD 70. But notice verse 10, they reject him. And have you not read the scripture? This is a quote from Psalm 118. It shows that the rejection of the son has been prophesied by God. The stone, you notice there it says, the stone that was rejected, the stone is Jesus, the chief cornerstone. I am not a builder or the son of a builder, and I don't presume to be one. Bob the builder is about as far as I go. But the cornerstone is the chief thing. You need to make sure that it aligns with everything else. You need to make sure that it's entirely built correctly so every other stone can correctly go above it. But when God sent his son, rather than seeing the perfect Jesus, what did they see? They saw someone who was troubling their waters. They cast it aside. They didn't see his perfections. They saw what they perceived to be his imperfections. But Jesus, when he was rejected, did you notice what verse 11 says? This was the Lord's doing. Guys, Calvary was God's plan from the beginning. God was not surprised when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God was not surprised when the prophets were rejected, when his son was killed. That was always the plan. That's why if you worry in here, and I look at myself when I say that, stop it. If God can plan the death of his infinite son, can he not take care of our puny little lives? Amen? If God can do that, I mean, you hear songs about this. I mean, you think about the tree You think about the little seed that made the tree, that made the cross, that was cut down, that just happened to be at the right time, at the right place. It's amazing. All the detail. Jesus is fully in control. This was the Lord's doing. It was was not a mistake. It was not anything other than God's doing. But yet they didn't want to believe or listen to the Scriptures. The Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. This was the appointed hour to go to the cross. You notice there in verse 12, And they were seeking to arrest him, not listening, but they feared the people. They feared the people. They were gutless wonders. Sin makes you stupid and sin makes you cower. That's what it is. 
They perceived the parable was about them. Oh, do you think? It is. So they left him and they went away. Friend, where does this leave us as we close? I just want to remind you of three things as we close, and they'll be quick. First, I want you to see, number one, that evil men bring about the will of God. Evil men bring about the will of God. Evil is evil and itself is not good, but ultimately it's good that evil exists or God would not ordain it. God is not pleased with evil in itself, but he does govern it to bring out greater good. Romans 8, 28. We can be confident that the hardest things you endure, that our church endures, that our culture endures, is not in vain. God will work through it to bring about his glory. Isn't that true? Jesus yielded himself to evil men who put him to death for that reason. You may be in a situation today, quite honestly, where you need to hear the voice of Christ, of the scriptures and his servants more than ever because you're going through something in a situation where you have been wronged, you are right before the Lord, but everyone else around you looks at you like, like, uh, like I described to our Sunday school class, like when you open our trash can at home, like, whoa, what's in there? You know, it's just stinky. If that's where people view you, friend, trust in the Lord. Your vindication is not from people, it's from Jesus Christ. You need to listen to his voice. Secondly, God doesn't have the perfect situation to carry out his will, or doesn't need to have the perfect situation is what it should say. I mean, you think about it. If Jesus wanted to save us, he could just save us with a click of a finger if there's such a thing. But he didn't. He had a guy named Judas. He had a guy named Caiaphas, a guy named Herod, and that guy named Pontius Pilate. But you see the sovereignty of God raising all this up. You have been put in the places where you've been put, Acts 17 tells us, because God knows the days and the boundaries where you need to be. You, you see in this episode the sovereignty of God advancing, never held back. You see His wrath, how the owner will deal with those who deny Christ. Friend, there doesn't have to be a perfect situation to carry out God's will. This is why God is storing up judgment for those who reject Him so that great day of judgment, it'll all be laid bare. You know, we were talking, uh, Brother Derek and I were talking with a, a friend in our neighborhood recently about the gospel over an extended conversation, and, and we made the point that if you accept this gospel, that will be a praise on the day when you stand before Jesus and you say, thank you, Jesus. But if you reject that gospel that he gave you in a conversation in a coffee house on a cold day in late February, then that's going to be a witness against you someday when he says, look at all these opportunities I gave you to turn to me. And you didn't listen. But you also see his patience. Isn't God so patient? Think about how impatient I am with my wife and my kids and the people in my life, even you all at times. And I mean that. Forgive me for my impatience towards you. But yet how patient God was to bring about our salvation. He gave it to us at the cross. And how sweet his grace is. He gave the kingdom to people who didn't deserve it. And yet here we are today. Finally, I want you to know that God is never silent. God is never silent. You say, Darren, how do I listen better to what God says? Well, first off, it's not some magical thing. You don't have to have the right mode, the right candles, or the light lighting. Okay? You don't have to go hum, 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 five times over. You need to have your Bible open. You need to have a heart. If your heart's as cold as stone when you open your Bible, say, Lord, would you open it up to speak to me through your scriptures? Father, I want to hear from, from what your son taught. I want to hear from what your servants, the prophets taught. Lord, just speak to me. 
Your word is our authority, Lord. It's sufficient for us. Help me. And he will. God doesn't need to speak in your SpaghettiOs. He doesn't need to speak through your Cheerios. He speaks through his word. Hebrews 1 tells us, in these last days, God has spoken through his son. And what we need to remember, guys, is God is never silent. Now, well, pastor, there are times I pray so much, and, and I pray so faithfully, and it's like my prayers hit the ceiling. And there may be times you feel that way, but let, as you know, Christian, God hears you. He's listening to you. And when he speaks and you need to be ready to act, you go with him, wherever that is, wherever he calls you to. He's always speaking through his word, through his servants, under the lordship of his divine son. The question is, are we listening? I mean, it's like that married couple. I mean, we've been sick the last couple weeks in our house. Sorry if I'm spitting on you, getting you sick myself. But it's like that first time when you get married, you know, the husband says to the wife, sugar, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle, and there's no telling about these things. I already called the hospital, and they got a room for you with flowers and homemade breakfast. Second year of marriage. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called Doc Miller. Now you go to bed, and you'll be better the next time. Third year of marriage. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest. I'll bring you some soup. Fourth year of marriage. Now, dear, let's be sensible here. After you've fed the kids, done the dishes, and washed the floor, you better lie down. You don't sound too good. The fifth year, why don't you just take a couple aspirin and leave me alone? The sixth year, I wish you'd just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal all evening. Really? Come on. Or the seventh year, if you even make it this far, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to get me pneumonia? That, yeah, that's, that's probably my, 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 my life in, in a nutshell. You're, thank you, Tina. I feel so vindicated in this moment. <laughs> I say that to say is you may feel like that with your relationship to the Lord. You may feel like, God, I've prayed, I've tried to be faithful, I've tried to do this, Lord, I've tried to listen, and you just, you just stomp your foot at God, keep going to Him. He is faithful, He loves you, He cares for you. And you know what? If these people who had rejected Jesus had gone to Him and repented and believed, He would have accepted them with open arms, even despite all they did to Him. And some of them did. Friend, Jesus is speaking today. We don't need an extra word. We need to go back to his word. We don't need an extra prophet. It's been done. It's in the scriptures. But may we listen well. Because if we are open to God's word and do not hear his voice, it's not his problem, but it's ours. Let's pray as we close. Father God, as we come and finish out our worship today, we, we do thank you that your word has been spoken. Father, it has been spoken through the prophets as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was spoken by your son as he literally, being Father, uh, one with you in the Trinity, being God himself, as he spoke, every word that he spoke was literally the word of God. Wow. Father, as, as you spoke, and then as through history and time, the 66 books of the scripture we know are your word, we thank you for those. Father, help us to listen. Let us not be like these Pharisees, Lord, who, 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 who hard-heartedly close their hearts, but Lord, especially, Lord, by your Spirit, soften our hearts. May you show us our sin, even the hidden things that no one knows about but you. May we re repent, not for salvation if we be in you, but Father, just to, just to right that, 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 that ridge in the relationship. Father, thank you that you're faithful. We love you so much, Lord. Father, help the years as we grow with you not to be like a, a, a bad marriage in the sense that it just gets greater and greater or nails on the chalkboard. But Lord, may it be refreshing, may it be sweet, but may we praise you all the more while your son was thrown out. He died for us. 
We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.